0: Now, The Three Martini Lunch, with Greg Karumbas and Jim
1: Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of The Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Karumbas of Radio America. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. I also want to thank those listeners that reached out following uh, the news of my dad yesterday for their very kind condolences. That is very much appreciated. Jim, I'm also happy to report that we're uh, sponsored today by a brand new sponsor called Honey. And we'll explain what that is in just a few moments. But if you like to save money, you're going to like these people. Joinhoney.com slash martini is where you want to go. Uh, We're also happy to report we don't have all bad martinis today. So things are are looking up. And uh, the first, the good martini was a little bit of a stretch. It's kind of tongue in cheek. But one of the things we've been looking for, Jim, is to... Get rid of some of the uh, the asterisks, as we like to call them, from the Democratic presidential field. And one of them never actually, uh, as far as I know, certainly never appeared on a debate stage. And not even really sure they ever appeared in a national television interview. But I could be wrong about that. And that is, uh, if he's not 90, he's almost 90-year-old, former Alaska Senator Mike Gravel ran briefly. You're forgiven if you forgot, back in 2008. And he's dropping out of the race again. But he's not going away quietly, Jim. He's fully endorsing someone else. Here is his uh, Twitter statement the other day. My name is Mike Gravel. Well, let's stop right there, because if you have to tell people who you are as you're exiting in the race, that might explain why uh, you had a few problems gaining some traction. But here, here's the real full statement. My name is Mike Gravel. I'm proud and honored to endorse Senator Bernie Sanders for the presidency of the United States. Bernie has a program that benefits all Americans, not just the 1%. He will be a great president for all Americans. We have a simple choice. We can have a democratic socialism of Bernie Sanders to benefit all Americans, or we can have Republican socialism, which benefits the 1% and leads us to a constant state of war. The choice is yours. Well, that's a really uplifting uh, exit message there. Uh, Jim, just a couple extra points here from the story that I read in The Hill. First of all, he also wants Tulsi Gabbard uh, to be president if it can't be Bernie Sanders and says uh, Gabbard would make an excellent president or vice president, depending on what the, what the circumstances permit. Uh, Bernie Sanders has thanked Gravel for the endorsement in a tweet saying, Thank you, Senator Gravel. Together we will end forever wars, fight for an economy that works for all of us, and bring millions of people into the political process. Uh, Gravel's campaign manager told The Hill in a statement that the former senator had always planned to end his campaign after the summer debates, saying, quote, actually contesting primaries and caucuses was never in the plan, as the point of this campaign is to push the party left and advocate against American imperialism and wars. Gravel had previously announced he was ending his long-shot presidential campaign and would start a leftist think tank. Gravel's campaign in a series of tweets says this. The DNC kept us off the stage tonight, even though we qualified. But the hashtag Gravelanche is not over. We're going to keep going. So, Jim, if I had known there was a Gravelanche hashtag, I'm sure this would have caught like wildfire. But uh, what do you make of uh, Mike Gravel, who most people didn't know was running, finally getting out?
0: Greg, I got to say, this is a genuinely shocking good martini (laughs) um, in the sense that I I really was had forgotten that Mike Revelle was alive, <laughs> never mind running for president. Many of my listeners probably forgot who he is. The best way I can summarize it, do you remember back in uh, early in the cycle, uh, a couple of cycles ago, there was this weirdo from Alaska who was a cranky old man. He did a video where he threw a pond into a rock, and then he just stared at the camera for five minutes. <laughs> in a a manner that was so vague, disconcerting, and and devoid of any words, structure or narrative meaning that even David Lynch was like, I don't get it. I can't tell what you're trying to say here. That's the guy. And he decided to run again this time, uh, you know, talk about the dish that you prepare the dish that nobody was really looking forward to eating. Um, To summarize his viewpoint, it's a little surprising that he endorsed Bernie Sanders because in short, Mike Gravel was for the people who found Bernie Sanders too quiet, moderate, and easygoing. <laughs> um, crankier, more irritable, quicker to denounce everybody who disagrees with them as some um, fascist, one uh, percent rich warmonger, blah blah blah. Um, the other thing was kind of interesting because his campaign manager, I remember reading early on, was either a teenager, like either in high school or fresh out of high school, right? This was not a you know long time. Alaska political, you know, veteran or anything like that. No, I just found a kid. Like, okay, kid, you're, you're my campaign manager. Let's go. Um, it, it was kind of this, you know, uh, it was almost like the, the George Burns movie where he switches bodies with the teenager, you know, this, some sort of, or, or bad grandpa, maybe is the better cinematic metaphor there. Um, but here's the thing I want to say to both him and Gravel and really to anybody else who has the audacity to offer this kind of BS spin after a campaign that goes nowhere. If your campaign plan does not include, quote, actually contesting primaries, then you're not actually campaigning for president. I'm sorry. And stop pretending that you are. In fact, you know if you, if you want to just say, I'm an activist, great. You want to move, fine, go ahead and do it. But if you're going to run for president, run for actual president. <laughs> if you want a gig on MSNBC, then campaign for a gig on MSNBC. Stop wasting our time. Stop filing with the FEC. You know, stop cluttering up the list of candidates that I have to assemble. Yeah, good riddance, Mike Gravel. I would say gone but not forgotten, but I've almost forgotten you already.
1: (laughs) That's certainly the case. He was certainly an afterthought in uh, 2008 in a field that uh, was obviously dominated by Obama and Hillary. And, you know, you you see former senator, former congressman, former governors running for president. It's not that uncommon. Mike Gravel hasn't been in the Senate since 1981, Jim. Uh, That's almost 40 years. So I'm sure he's right on the cutting edge. And it's just a shame that the American people won't be benefiting from his up-to-date wisdom. Ah!
0: When you look at Ronald Reagan as the newfangled youngster on the political scene, <laughs> to sign your pastor prime.
1: Exactly. But you can probably get a pretty good deal on MicroVell for President merchandise. I'm sure it's going at a pretty nice bargain rate. But if you want to save money, it's not just on MicroVell presidential gear, it's uh, also pretty much anything that's potentially on sale. And that's where JoinHoney.com comes in. If you ever buy something online, sometimes you find out later that you missed a discount. You don't need to overspend any more thanks to Honey. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds you the best deals online. The Honey app magically auto-applies the best deal to your cart at checkout. It finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites, and it works with Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom, and others. Honey
0: has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. Honey has more than 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome Store. And Time Magazine calls Honey, quote, basically free money, unquote. That's a pretty good deal.
1: It is, and it's not socialist-free money, which means your tax dollars. It's actually discounts that you don't have to pay. So, look, there's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. So if you're not computer-savvy, no problem. Shop with confidence. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad and crazy martinis now. And both of those deal with the ongoing Democratic reaction to the horrific mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton. And yes, President Trump and Joe Biden, they were in El Paso and Dayton. But speaking of Joe Biden, he did a lengthy interview with uh, Anderson Cooper of CNN. And one of the things that stood out was Anderson Cooper asking him, about white supremacy and, and who's winning this battle. Here's how it went down. You entered the campaign saying that this is, in your opinion, a battle for the soul of the nation. Given the violence of the last couple of days, who's winning the battle? Uh, the uh, the white supremacists are winning the battle. This is this is domestic terrorism. And Biden went on to say that he believes that uh, the comments from President Trump on Twitter and elsewhere are stoking and encouraging and emboldening white supremacists. And that's certainly a debate on a number of different levels that can be had. But, Jim, the idea that white supremacy is winning the, the battle for the hearts and minds of America is absurd. Whether you look at the minuscule turnout at their their rallies or the way the American people en masse respond to these uh, horrific acts, uh, they are not winning.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this. Like, It's understandable if you're in a bad mood after this weekend— it's understandable if you feel depressed, if you feel angry, if you feel despair, if you feel just beside yourself. I can't begrudge anybody for feeling like that, but to look at this and to say the white supremacists are winning—this ultimately came down to the actions of two men. And the great irony is apparently the Dayton shooter was not a white supremacist, or at least he would, you know, wouldn't fit the normal categories was kind of a left-wing enough job full of crazy ideas and stuff like that. So look, I can understand feeling down to look based upon the actions of two men that the overwhelming majority of us have never met, never interacted with, sounds like these people didn't interact with very much much of anybody. Is this a serious threat? Yeah. Do we have to deal with this? Yeah. Does this mean that the war on white supremacy is being lost? No. Um, and I think that that's uh you know, if you met, stop to think about it for a second, that you know, not only is it not accurate. I, I kind of wonder if statements like that from Biden are, um, in the end, unhelpful. That, that in the end, they create a sense of panic. I think they send, create a sense of, um, again, maybe exacerbating the sense of despair. Besides, you mentioned. I think it was, I was glad you mentioned that because the maybe a lot some of us were oblivious, or you know, not thought that the Klan, thought that all of these you know nut jobs, skinhead groups, and folks like that had kind of faded away into the the background, had gone into the backwoods, had crawled back to the rock to which they came under. Then unite the right uh, rally occurs in Charlottesville. That abominable name for the rally. Which, you know, these guys are not right at all, either in the moral sense or in the political sense. They're effectively, you know, uh, white nationalist fascists uh, marching under the Nazi flag. I mean, it's not any, you know, any doubt about who, what these guys stand for. And it happens. And yeah, that was a that was a really frightening turnout. The lack of police presence was terribly frightening. Seeing those guys marching through the University of Virginia campus with their tiki torches was, you know, a deeply disturbing sight. They decided to hold the follow-up in Washington, D.C. in 2018. And what was it, 10 people showed up, 20? If that, there would be an overwhelming majority of counter-protesters there. And, you know, they're you know outnumbered like 10 to 1 for all the cops there to make sure they didn't get their butts kicked. Let's not overstate these guys. Let's not talk about them as if they're 10 feet tall and they're unstoppable and, you know, on the move and on the march and all that kind of stuff. Um, my theory that I kind of laid out in today's Morton Jolt is that people who really pay attention to the alt-right, people who really pay attention to these groups – say that in the past year or two, they've actually become quite disillusioned with President Trump. They believe that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the Jews, you know, the Jews got to him, right? The idea that he's, he has not brought about their white nationalist nirvana that they expected to have. For those offended by the term, the use of the term nirvana in association with that, think of fool. And you can look up how the Nazis believe in that. Man. Um, you know, they thought that Trump was going to give them what they wanted. And lo and behold, here we are, August 2019. And they're not living in the, you know, racially pure happy land that they envisioned he was going to bring about. So they're frustrated. So they're angry. Not even Donald Trump is giving them what they want. Uh, some of them are blaming Jared Kushner. Some of them are blaming, you know, the synagogue shooter. Is considered Trump a sellout. The Poets uh, up in Pittsburgh and San Diego, the synagogue shooter said that Trump was a sellout. I kind of wonder if this is what's driving these guys to get really angry to get more violent. If we see more frequent violence, whether some of it is this recognition of, oh wait. Not even Donald Trump is bringing about this impossible, uh, racially pure ideal that we've wanted for so long. Um, I don't know what to do after that, you I know, mean, other than track these guys down, stop them before they attack and, and you know, uh, put them behind bars. But my sneaking suspicion is, is that running around saying, you know, white supremacy is winning, you know, it just, uh, it just makes things worse, I, su- I suspect. I think, you know, Joe Biden's heart is generally in the right place on this issue. But uh, I think it'd prefer- be wiser, it'd be more preferable if he could be a little more careful with the way he phrased things.
1: All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And, of course, to no one's surprise, uh, we've got a lot of different folks on the left upset uh, with a number of different things. They're upset with the president uh, saying his rhetoric is either directly responsible or indirectly responsible for it. They're blaming Mitch McConnell for not bringing up gun control legislation or other things they think Would have made a difference in this situation. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is taking a little bit more of a nuanced position here. Uh, He's still talking about gun control, however. Talking with John Berman on CNN, Buttigieg says uh, the filibuster is actually a big problem here because gun control could have gotten done earlier, but except for the filibuster. And we need political reforms to make it happen. Look, when most of the American people
0: want to at least see background checks and red flag laws, uh, and that hasn't happened, you've got to ask why and how. Uh, part of my political action plan is for us to mount an effort to end the Senate filibuster. Because if it weren't for the filibuster, we would have enacted some of these reforms mm-hmm. back in 2013 after Sandy Hook. Uh, the former president, President Obama, was blocked mm-hmm. in trying to lead this country to a safer place. We can't let that
1: happen it again. It had 55 votes. And then Berman stumbled over Toomey Mansion a couple of times. But that's what he's talking about, the Toomey Mansion legislation, bipartisan bill. It needed 60 votes to advance. But, Jim, as you and I discussed uh, prior to starting today, there was a Republican House at the time. Uh, it's unlikely that would have gotten through. And major mainstream media outlets have been pointing out in the past couple of days that uh, stricter background checks, which is pretty much all that legislation was, wouldn't have made a difference in these shootings.
0: A couple things kind of jump out in response to that. The first is, If Pete Buttigieg really does believe that the filibuster is the single biggest and most important obstacle to enacting the legislative priorities that he wants to see enacted, he really should be running for the Senate because the president of the United States does not have any say over filibuster policy. Oh, by the way, for those wondering about the importance of, you know, uh, the Senate elections in 2020, on paper, if you have 50 votes and you have the vice president on your side, or if you have 51 votes in the Senate, you can get rid of the filibuster. I say it on paper. Republicans have never had anything resembling 50 votes saying let's get rid of the filibuster for legislation. Um, you did see them get rid of it for Supreme Court justices, and you know this is a uh, this is where you fight. Start seeing Democrats insisting, well, look, the f- getting rid of the filibuster for judges short of the Supreme Court is totally cool because Harry Reid did it. But once you do it for Supreme Court justices, you're being extreme. You know? <laughs> um, I remember talking to Ted Cruz early in Trump's presidency, uh, let's say 27, before the 2018 midterms. And I asked him about the filibuster and he said, we think we probably probably about half the Republicans in the the Senate would support getting rid of the filibuster. So you're in the neighborhood of about 25 votes. So in other words, Republicans will not get rid of the filibuster anytime soon. Um, You can like that decision. You can hate that decision. But I think that's just that's just political reality. Uh, Would Democrats change their minds? I don't doubt that there are some Democrats who would rather not get rid of the filibuster. Uh, you did see a few Democrats after the uh, uh, two Trump uh, appointments, in the Supreme Court were confirmed, say, huh, maybe we shouldn't have gotten rid of the filibuster for judicial nominations. All of a sudden it dawns on them. Oh, maybe they, we never figured we'd be in the minority again. Now it turns out we need it. You know? um, so maybe there are some Democrats who do it. I think the, I think that's the safest rule of thumb is that the bigger the Democratic majority in the Senate the more likely it is they'll find the 50 or the the 50 votes that they need or the 51 votes they need to get rid of the filibuster. So if you're thinking about that. But the second thing is, you know, this is kind of a bigger, more important point. It's like no matter how many times we repeat it, all the Democrats running for president don't want to acknowledge this. We mentioned the fact that both these guys bought their guns legally. Now, we can argue the the Dayton shooter should have been on a watch list or should have been on a situation where he should have been faced criminal charges for what he did in high school. Or alternately, he should have been mandatorily referred for a psychological evaluation, and that would have helped prevent him from being able to purchase a gun. That has not been mentioned very much. But even beyond that, people forget that the shooter in Charleston at the African-American Church and the shooter in Sutherland Springs both were supposed to not be able to purchase a gun. The FBI did not put the right information into the system the correct way. So when they go to check the instant check system at the gun store... You know, no red flags come up. Nothing indicates saying this person is not allowed to purchase a gun. A universal, you know, for the rest of the week, we're going to hear universal background checks, universal background checks. Look, a universal background check that uses a system that doesn't work is a placebo. But nobody wants to hear that this week,
1: Greg. Jim, hopefully we'll have even happier news tomorrow. Talk to you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Karumbas of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget to visit our great brand new sponsor. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. joinhoney.com slash martini. And save money. Can't go wrong there. Join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.